Welcome to I Do This Because, an interview series that displays the motivations and personalities of people in Dallas who lead us. We avoid biographical questions and we set aside hot button issues that divide rather than unite. Instead, we dive straight into the hearts of leaders in all industries, those who receive praise and those who deserve more. What inspires them? What gives them courage? What promotes humility in the midst of fame? How they conquer stress, how they manage crises, and how they retain a sense of humor under pressure. And with that, let's meet our guest and find out why she does what she does. Dallas and beyond. My name is Grant Schmidt. We are here with the incredible Jan Langbein, the CEO of Genesis Women's Shelter here in Dallas, an organization aimed at providing safety, shelter, and support for women who have experienced domestic violence. Ms. Langbein has been an activist in efforts to end violence against women for over 30 years. In 2008, she was appointed by President Bush to serve as a chief advisor on crimes against women working within the Department of Justice. And in April 2019, President Bush and First Lady Laura Bush presented her with the George W. Bush Institute's Trailblazer Citation, which recognizes leaders who are tackling today's most pressing challenges with compassion. Ms. Slingbein, we are honored to have you on today's edition of I do this because. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you so much. So we're going to jump right into it. You have dedicated your life to combating domestic violence, protecting women and children. And not only have you been successful at this, tackling this important issue, but you've done so with tremendous courage, energy, compassion. You've been described as a living hug. And so I'm wondering why dedicate your life to this issue and why serve in this capacity? Right. And there's, to be real honest, there's no rhyme or reason to it. This, this is, I'm not from abuse. A lot of people expect if I've worked this hard for this many years that probably I, I have it somewhere in my background and I don't. Um, I didn't think about it much. And if I thought about it, I thought, well, it happens to somebody else in another part of town that doesn't look like me or go to school where I go to school or go to church where I go to church. And what I found was that domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women in the United States, that every nine seconds a woman is assaulted. Um, and I, I just, I don't know how you turn your back on it. Um, so I come from not a background of abuse, but once I, uh, once I discovered it, um, I, it was it. It was just that's what lit me up. So let's talk about where you discovered it. I've heard a story about you saying that you uh, came across a magazine yeah, one day yeah, and there was an yeah. article about it. I want to talk about that, but I imagine, I know that your father was a pastor, and mm -hmm. I imagine that there was many thing, there were many things in your soul and your personality before you hit that magazine uh, that led you right. to this calling. Do you, do yeah. you agree? Well, I would say that I just, who I am and from the inside out and wa certainly watching my, my parents, um, I think we all need to make this a better world when we leave it than when we found it. And I know there are a lot of people who just seem to sort of tread water through life and that would never be good enough for me. I, I always knew I needed to have a purpose. I had no idea this is what that purpose would be. Um, I've always been, I guess, personality-wise, a helper and a fixer and a, um, you know, volunteer kind of uh, compassionate person. But again, this—it almost surprises me as much as anybody that this was the, this was my field of fascination. When you were approached by Genesis to be the CEO, I imagine you were 
pulled in a variety of directions, given your energy and your intellect? Did you have a temptation to, to pursue other interests that you have, or did you know oh, this is 100% no. no, absolutely, I had no idea. I mean, seriously, I was so not qualified for this job. I was so, I didn't even have a resume. I was a stay-at-home mom. I was the Kool-Aid mom of the block, and I was the Tuesday morning volunteer at Genesis. And, um, you know, I thought about, God, it's such a great agency, and they do such good work, and um, my degree, my undergraduate's in psychology, and I thought, well, you know, someday, uh, maybe I'll go get a master's degree and be a therapist, right? Wow, if that wouldn't have been the worst job in the whole world, because I'm not one to sit around and talk about how it feels. Now, I hire people who talk about right. how it feels, but I'm such a lead follower, get the heck out of my way kind of girl, that if I had gone that route, it would have been a disaster. The wheels would have come off. But I was actually um, sitting on the board of directors. Uh, this was like 30 two years ago and the board president came and said basically we need a new new director new leadership she needs to be able to work the crowd and raise money out of my mouth sh shoots oh my gosh I think that's me I'm looking around to see who said it because again oh, you actually said that I said it out, out loud. loud I think that's me you're talking about and then I'm <laughs> like well, wait a minute I no, I'm not qualified I don't I don't have a strategic plan. I don't even have a resume. I don't have a, you know, so I'm just self-deprecating, which is my default mode, right? right. So I'm just uh, backpedaling into, and then, of course, I'm thinking, I was a stay-at-home mom, and we had decided to have kids and wait to have kids until I could stay home, and uh, then I'm thinking, how am I going to tell them at home <laughs> that I'm going to do this? But I just put one foot in front of the other. I mean, the whole thing was just a God thing. It really was that... Uh, the agency was much smaller. Right. Um, it was uh, only a shelter at that time, only the residential component. Um, and I didn't come in with a strategic plan. I, I, I would now if I was going to head up a uh, nonprofit organization. But I just looked around and I thought, you know, everybody says for her to get out, but how does she get out if she has no money? And you can't have money if you don't have a job, and you can't get a job if you don't have child care. So we put child care on site. Well, we're seeing dads snatch kids out of school we so we put school on site to keep kids safe and we everything we did can't if i can't get my children if i can't afford a divorce um, then I, I might as well go home. So we put a lawyer on site. And just one thing after the next, I watched the stumbling blocks. And um, now that may, I'm, I'm saying this in 30 seconds, and it's taken right. 30 years to do. Right. Of um, because no sooner do you think you're going to put a school in that the roof leaks and you have to pay for that. But with all of that said, um, uh, I'm, I'm more surprised than most people that, that I have this job. Well, given all that you've already accomplished and all that you continue to want to accomplish, I'm interested in the structure of your day and how you retain the level of energy that you have. <laughs> yeah. um, I know that you said every nine seconds there's there's an assault. You treat thousands of women every year. You, you receive thousands of calls on the hotlines. So what is your day? What does your day look like? What time are you waking up? And how do you, do you have a mantra in the morning where you remind yourself, hey, I need to be very intentional about every interaction <laughs> no, I've got? No, absolutely. <laughs> My eyes open and all of a sudden I'm late. I'm already late. And so I'm late to get in the shower. I'm late to get in the, in the, on the, toll road, I'm late to get to the office because there's so much to do. None, none of my days look alike. I may um, be putting out HR issues. I may be talking to funders. This is all in 20 minutes. Um, I may need to hire. I may need to fire. I may need to uh, go and give a talk um, at a school or a conference or a meeting. Um, some days it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't do as much, I don't do very much uh, direct client service, but I supervise those who do. And I have a vision and I have a dream 
uh, for these employees, and um, I, I feel like how can I ask them to do that if I don't do it myself? I always say to a new employee, I'll never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do. However, I raise uh, the bar. I keep the bar pretty high for myself. So. Okay. So, given all that's going on, I know that there's always something to be done, right? right? And, right. and you've said before it's a twenty-four-seven job, right? And so one of my challenges I know as, as a lawyer is I do become obsessed with my work mm -hmm. in a good way, I hope. And right. um, it's hard for me to compartmentalize and to say, you know, I should actually read this book or, right. you know, I should uh, pursue this extracurricular. But it's important to compartmentalize. Right. And so I'm wondering how you try to at least keep things separate so you can spend time with your grandkids yeah. and you can read the book you wanted to, to read and you can do the research that you wanted to research right. while being on call. I would love to say I have a good work-life balance, but I, um, and I don't know if it's my generation or whatever, but my work and my life are my life. My work and my personal life, that's who I am. And so I don't compartmentalize. I'm sorry, that was a big lawyer word. <laughs> um, I do what's next. I, you know, have a sleepover tonight with a grandchild and tomorrow morning I'll come into the office and then I'll go to Houston this weekend to see other kiddos and um, so it's just a it's a race but it's all incorporated I don't compartmentalize now we're sitting in uh, the outreach facility right now and I walked in and I saw many women mm -hmm. and many kids outside who, who y'all are providing services to and I know that you've said you know in these rooms are where miracles yeah. happen yeah and so I'm wondering if you can tell us a recent moment uh, that has occurred in your facility that has just provided you significant hope? A moment where you thought, I wish my grandkids could be right here, yeah. I wish my whole staff could be here, I wish my donors could yeah. be here, I wish Dallas could be here. Th those aha moments truthfully happen every single day. Women who come to Genesis, well, women who are abused in their own homes are told several things. Uh, no one will hear you, no one will help you, and no one will believe you. And so when I get to see somebody grab their babies and come into the shelter, when I get to see those little babies sleeping on a mat, when I get to see the child who's in uh, uh, our school or the mom who had the courage to come here, that is an aha moment for me every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I wish everybody had the opportunity to know that, uh, that feeling and that, that knowledge. What grieves me and I don't know that you asked me this, but what makes me sad, and I have girlfriends say, gosh, aren't, isn't that a depressing job? And I'm like, absolutely not. What makes me sad, what I worry about, are the 400 people on the waiting list to get into these services, 400 people who cannot come because we don't have any more room and I don't have any extra, any more therapists and so on and so forth. I don't have the resources. So that just motivates me to go out and raise more resources. Right, and do you feel like you carry a burden in that where you think, gosh, I know I've done so much, but there's so much more I could do and no sir no sir no burden at all I am so Good. blessed to get to do this job I mean I'm true I truly feel that way how lucky am I to get to work in a job in a place that makes a difference in the world right. I mean we're moving the needle not just here in Dallas but across the country through our conference on crimes against women through the the kinds of things that we do with legislation uh, as much as we work toward uh, providing safety for victims and holding perpetrators accountable on a state and national level um, no I absolutely not I'm blessed to get to do this who can say that right yeah I made somebody safer someplace I know you said that you know each day obviously you have those aha moments but for those who for those of us who are not as familiar with what Genesis is doing I'm wondering if you can and also it'll shine some light on your amazing personality but I'm wondering if you could give a specific example of a conversation even if it was this morning or yesterday 
where you're sitting in there with someone and they've asked you just an amazingly insightful question or they've made a comment that you've just thought this is this is you know something new or or this is something very insightful I had thought about well let me tell you about a little child who was walking down the hall um, past my office door okay um, and he had with him a little Chinese box, a Chinese food box, mm -hmm. right? And it was all uh, decorated and there were pictures drawn on it. And he was on his way with his therapist down to uh, therapy, play therapy down the hall. And um, we were talking about this food box and um, I said, you know, what, what have you got in there? And he goes, do you want to guess? And well, it may be a piece of candy, it may be a toy. No, no, it's not that, it's not that. And so uh, he turned to his therapist and said, can I tell her what's in my box? And uh, she said, sure, if you want to. And he goes, that's where I put my monsters while I'm here. We have given that little child a place to store those monsters mm -hmm. while he's here at Genesis Women's Shelter um, and support. And so we knew he could go down the hall and feel safe um, and do what it is he needs to do, the hard work he does in counseling. I want to tell you another one. Uh, we had a young man named Arturo Torres who, I read an article in the morning news and he is an illustrator artist uh, of three New York Times best-selling books. It's kind of a superhero ath athlete sort of drawing guy. And so there, in this article about him, it talks about uh, he could live anywhere, he's successful, he's married, he's a father, but he chose to come back to live in Oak Cliff because that's, he wanted to be a role model to the kids around him. He wanted to show kids that they didn't have to sell drugs, they didn't have to prostitute other people, they didn't have to join a gang to be successful. And at the very end, they were like, so what made you interested in art? Right, at, it was almost an afterthought. And he said, when I was eight years old, my mom and I went to a place called Genesis Women's Shelter, and on Friday, which is Toy Day, they gave me an art kit. Right. They gave me an art kit. I'm like, how is that possible? How is it, how is it we had an art kit? How is it I didn't give you the art kit and him the truck? Right. I mean, again, it's another God thing right. that happens here every single day. Right. And so uh, I got to meet him not long ago. He came here. It was kind of a roundabout way that I connected with him. I didn't know where he was. I don't remember him particularly, but he's one of thousands of kiddos who have, who have found mm. A food box to put their monsters in while they've been here so anyway I finally did meet this guy and it was real emotional for him he gives me this big guy gives me this big old bear hug and on the way out the door he said I've been practicing this I hope I can say it all the way through um, and he said you helped an eight-year-old boy and he turned into a good man and a good father Wow so wow. yes that's amazing. what I get that's right? amazing that's what that's I amazing. get yeah do you, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. When you when you come into these conversations, I know you have a staff and, and you've hired a great a great team. Do you when you have the conversations uh, with some of these uh, women and children? Do you um, are there moments where where you're nervous? Uh, are there moments when when you're 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 stressed? Because I ask that you're such a confident woman, and I know you have to you have to be confident a confident face in front of many. But I'm wondering if there are times when when you're nervous. Oh or, my gosh, I'm nervous now. Right. Absolutely, <laughs> right. this makes me nervous. Um, no, I think um, I do a lot of public speaking, and public speaking doesn't make me nervous. But every time I do it, I, I'm nervous that maybe I won't say it right or correctly. I won't say it. 
I, I have this opportunity to say something that should touch somebody in that room, and what if I miss that opportunity? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a university, I was at Ursuline Academy not long ago, is there one little girl who was sitting there that had been hit by her boyfriend, and I don't say it in a way that she can hear me? So I guess I, I get nervous about my effectiveness. Um, it, it, can I be as good as I want to be? Uh, and so, yeah, I work myself up big time. And I'll start off, I can tell in a speech, I'll start off a little little jumpy, when you say, a little jumpy. And then, man, I get into the, I get into the mood. I get into the, the zone okay. and just go. And that just happens, you get in the zone, it happens naturally as you get going yeah. and you get more confident. Yeah, and, yeah. Okay. Okay. In, in each of those talks. Right, now I'll be right. nervous at the next talk, you right, know, right. Uh, because they're, they're all uh, tweaked a little bit differently. When I'm speaking in New Jersey to the National Coalition of Jewish Women, it's real different than, you know, when I'm speaking to Ursuline Academy here in Dallas. So. What about when you received uh, the Trailblazer oh citation my gosh. Uh, from okay. the Bushes? Okay, talk about being a, a poser. <laughs> I'm like, there are so many people who deserve that better. I didn't even think no. they knew who I was, even though I know they know who I am because we've been together and talked and right. stuff, but then I'm just like, how could they possibly know who I am? So it's kind of the, it was this really surreal evening of out of all the people they could have recognized with that, and to be on that stage, it was super funny too because I was. Um, they had really scripted us. They had told me where to stand and how long to stand there and don't stand. This until, is at the Bush Institute, yeah, right? Yeah, it was actually it attended at the mansion. Okay. There was a dinner and okay. um, Bill and Melinda Gates were the keynotes. I was the opening act, I guess. And um, they uh, they were like, don't stand until Mrs. Bush does. Then when she walks up the stage, you take two steps behind her and then you stand there. I mean, it was really scripted out, right? And so I was supposed to stand right here and I was looking over at her and I'm kind of smiling and sort of nodding and clapping. I don't know what she was saying because I was about to throw up, right? In front of the, the Dallas's most amazing people. Anyway, all of a sudden I feel somebody just sort of grabbed me around my, uh, put his arm around my shoulder, and it was the president, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I thought, that, okay, now I'm going to faint, right. right? And so I'm trying to listen to her and do what they told me to do, and he gives me a big old kiss on the side I of my, that. did you yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. God. yeah, I just keep, re like, repeating reverse play, reverse right. play, reverse <laughs> play. It was, it was, it was a quite a night. I just set, went back to my table after it was over and, and uh, grabbed the glass of champagne <laughs> and thought, I'm so glad this is at the beginning of dinner instead of the end of dinner because I don't know if I could have right. done it. So right. No, it was a huge honor. It was a huge honor to get that kind of recognition uh, when I don't particularly think I deserve it. Um, but it was it was a huge honor for me. You do deserve it. Um, ah. Now, earlier you, you talked about you know your presence am among your team. I wanted to ask you a few questions about your leadership style and and how you inspire your team. Yeah. Um, because from the moment you walk in the door, everyone's looking at you, right? They're yeah. looking to you for your optimism and your courage. And so I'm wondering, what is your approach to ensure, hey, I've got to always be on and I've yeah. got a big team that is relying on me uh, to train them in the right yeah, way? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit different than that. I, I, I'm not all that smart, but the smartest thing I've done as a professional or a leader of an organization is hire the smartest and best people I can hire. So I don't walk in any day thinking uh, they're looking to me for that. I cut them loose. I tell them, go be the best that you can be. I'll support you in what you're doing. When you hit a snag, you hit a road, bu uh, road bump. 
uh, then come and talk to me about it. But I trust you. You're a professional. You're good at this. Now, here's my vision. Here's the strategic plan. How can you help me incorporate that into it? But no, I don't have a sense that when I walk in, it's like all eyes on Jan to be up and enthusiastic. In fact, half the time, I don't know if they even know I'm here. In fact, actually, we ought to probably go get some of them and ask them to say, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Am I even answering that, that correctly? Yeah. Yes, you are. And yeah. so and so I want to I want to ask this. You deal with, as we said, you know, there were at least 30 people outside that right. I saw. I mean, how many people come through here a day, do you think? Oh, well, that's that's on the hour. Okay. So right. we could have, depending on what day of the week, and how, we go till 8 at night um, in English and in Spanish. Um, and so we will have groups and individuals. We'll have a lot of kids after school, those kinds of things. But we could have easily 150 people come through that door So how, each how, day. Do, how do you personally, Ms. Langbein, ensure that that you and your team are not desensitized to what's going on, that you don't become numb. I know obviously these are significantly yeah. challenging issues and it's hard to do that, but you see them so often right. that I know it's gotta be, a, you've gotta ensure that yeah. you don't become numb, yeah. Yeah. numb to it. I don't know if I know the answer to that, but I watch the staff, particularly at the, uh, at the shelter down there where it's residential setting. And I am so amazed when I can see my staff uh, one family, they've been there, they might have been great clients, they might have been troubled and troubling, and as they go out the back door and even the, the staff is exhausted, whammo, the front door opens and here comes another family and, it, and they start all over again with this enthusiasm and dedication to it. The deal here um, is that if you go from door to door to door, everybody is here from a different background. Somebody's from banking and finance, somebody is from PR and marketing, somebody is from whatever background it is. The job requirement to work here is that you have a fire in your belly to end violence against women and children. So when you say, well, it wasn't complacent, what was the word? Desensitized. Desensitized that you, used, you don't get to work here. If, right. if that is the case, right. because every call is the only call that woman has ever made. Every person who walks in the door, that's the only time she's ever walked in the door. We, so it's not, it's, I don't, we don't tolerate complacency or de being desensitized. And, and, and to be real honest, uh, unfortunately, that can mean a, a short shelf life. Um, because some, uh, particularly the clinicians who hear these stories every 50 minutes. I encourage self-care. I, I don't care how they do it, but I hope they do do it. And our organizational structure is in a way that there's always someone to support the next rung down, basically. Okay. Now, similar to what, what you're just saying, when, when you're helping your, your team, I'm wondering, uh, of course, they're, you're making decisions all day, every day, right? right. It's, and sometimes people talk about decision fatigue because people have to run things by you and you have to decide very quickly. And I know you've put people in the right positions to also make decisions. But how do you ensure uh, that you're not living in the past and not thinking you know, about a, a young boy who you wish you could have helped more or there's a conversation where you wish you would have said X or you, know, you wish you could have provided that extra resource to this person. There's always something we could do more. Right. But I'm wondering how do you ensure that you don't live in the past and that you keep fighting the next day and focusing on the present and the young woman or the young man right. or the young child who's in front of you right then and there. Right, right, right. Um, 
I do what you said. I do think, gosh, I wish I had made one more call for that money, or I wish I had, you know, I shouldn't have said that to that lady uh, when she called in. I, that was the wrong way to put it. Uh, so I do do that, but what I try to do is learn from that and never say it that way again. Um, I remember a particular uh, woman who had called, and she's very badly beaten, an affluent part of our city, and she said, I said, you know, we have this, we have that, we have shelter. I was reading down the menu, menu of services. And she goes, well, I could never come to the shelter because my husband is the chief of police of a small incorporated town um, here in Dallas. And I said, you're kidding. And she said, no, um, he would know he's able to find out where all the shelters are because he's chief of police. And I, I asked her, who, do you mind telling me who that is? The man had, they had recently come to Dallas, and he had literally called me and said, hey, I'd like to know who you are, and we work with this shelter back where I'm from, and I'd like to come down and kick the tires and see who, you know. And I invited him. Of course, we'd love right. to have right. that kind of leadership. Well, that was her husband, and he was terribly abusive in what he was wow. doing. And so what came out of my mouth was, I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. She heard me say, I can't believe you. And she hung up on me. Oh, wow. I was saying, I can't believe that son of a bitch had right. the nerve to come into my office and act like he was the good guy. That's right. what I was thinking. And I, I've thought about that a hundred times. So I'm very, very careful, or I try to when I don't do the best I can, is to try to learn from that. Right. Say it a different way. And then teach it. Right. Try it. Change it. Fix it. And then teach it to somebody else. Let's be sure we're talking about it this way. Let's right. be sure we're, yeah, saying the right things. Okay. Okay. Now, are there things similar to this? Are there things that um, that you're you're fearful of? Because again, I have an image of you that is invincible, and um, and and so I'm wondering: Are there things that that you're fearful of, profession, more so professionally, but also also personally that you uh, that you carry that you want to ensure never happens? Well. Um, I don't know if this is answering the question that you're asking me, but I, I'm fearful that I can't, I'm, I'm not on the cutting edge of things. Um, I don't know how to do what my director of communications does. And I feel responsible to sort of be in charge of thinking up what that next thing ought to be. And however, as it turns out, she's so good, I don't have to think it up because she's already 10 feet ahead of me, right? right? But there are times that I'm like, I don't know how that database works, and I wish I did. Now, I'll raise money to buy it. I'll listen to the people who recommend it. I'll ask questions on why it would work, and I'll get board approval to do it. I can do all of that, but sometimes I just fear that maybe I'm not um, as much on the cutting edge as I ought to be. But like right. I say, the good news is I hire people who absolutely are on the cutting edge, whether it's clinical response or whatever. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, you earlier, you and I talked a little bit about Faith, I know you go to Highland Park Methodist. Mm -hmm. um, I'm Catholic. I go to St. Rita uh -huh. in, in North Dallas. Um, but I'm wondering if there's, I think I know that your answer to this question, but I'm wondering if there is a specific moment that you can think of sitting here um, where, you've, where you've looked back and you've said, you know, there is, there is no explanation for that but for God. I can tell you that's every day. I told yeah. you a minute ago that it is, um, they shouldn't have hired me. I told you we put an art kit in Arturo Torres's hands. Um, the capital campaign that I was doing that I literally, 
uh, I had given myself a deadline of 18 months to raise it. Well, 18 months came and went, and I was $25,000 short on this multi-million dollar campaign. And I thought, well, you just stink. You don't know how to raise money. I was starting to self-deprecating again, right? And about a month and a half later, I get this call from this woman who says, I'm Mr. So-and-so's assistant, and he has a check for you. And I was like, I didn't know I was going to get a check. And it was, she said, yeah, he heard there was a capital campaign. And um, I said, well, great. Well, it turns out it was exactly the Delta. It was exactly the $25,000 I was short. And it was dated uh, 1231, which was my cutoff on that 18 months. I mean, I really wow. feel like we are blessed because we're doing what we've been asked to do. But I do think God has a sense of humor because he dangles me out over the cliff <laughs> and he laughs and says, I've never dropped you. I don't know what you're worried about. Right. But then I, you know, I'm always like, well, what if this time he drops me? You know, and I think that's just my lack of... Well, I have heard faith. I have heard you say uh, that when you look for an easy way out, you know, God often laughs. Oh yeah, if you uh, want to make God so laugh, look for the easy way I out love of that life. Line. Because I, I think all of us in our lives are like, well, that's enough. That's enough. I, I volunteer at the school. I volunteer at my church. I don't need to do that. And I'm then, but then you'll trip over something like this, and you'll say, how do I not do that? Right. I don't know if it was in some plan for him. I hope I, you know, he's. he's watching and right, <laughs> it's impressive. Right, right. I hope so. I'm counting on that. But um, yeah, that's not why I do it. Let me ask you this. Is there a set of facts um, that that could occur that would then allow you to say, you know what, I've I've seen it all. I've, I've done it all. I've put in my time and I'm ready to uh, step down and, and uh, spend more time yeah, with my grandkids. There's something I could see, some facts that I could see. That's when we make one in three equals zero. I'm not through with this until it's finished, until it's fixed. And I'm afraid in my lifetime it's not going to be. Now, will I continue to do this? I love it here. I can't imagine not being here. But you know, I've got a couple of books to write. I've got some, some more speeches to give. And mm -hmm. so, um, no, I can't think of anything, uh, unless it was a health issue or something, but no. I'm gonna be here till they roll me out. And I think that is what uh, you know. so many people admire about you. If, there, if you were not doing this job, if you were not serving Genesis um, and you had not given your life to, to this cause, uh, what would Jan Langbein be doing? I mean, what is there another is there another dream you've always yeah. had, another passion that you've had outside of this of this current issue? I make issue? really good pies. I really <laughs> people do. People are nodding I, in the room. I, I, <laughs> I crimp a pie better than most people, and even we celebrate um, Pie Day. 314 March right. 14th here and there's there's National Pie Day and we have pie contests here that you get the pie of your choice if you can say the 10 best pies in the, you know in America um, could you name 10 good pies I don't I don't think I could. No, no, uh, not many people can, but we do have a winner every year. I was about to try, year. but I don't know if yeah. I'm going to Exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I I like to bake. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, here my last question. Uh, how reflecting on your career, you've still got a lot to a lot to do yeah, and a yeah. long way to go. Uh, but I do like to ask people, how do you uh, want to be remembered? You know, I, I'd like to think that uh, um, I made a difference in this issue. I'd like to think that, you know, my life's motto would be to find the good and praise it, whether that's in a person or a place or whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't care how you remember me. <laughs> Just well, if, do you know what I'm saying? Of course, I, I don't of course. exactly know. If you were to look back and say, "Hey, I know I made a dent," what would that look like? What What would allow you to go to bed and say, 
either statistically or yeah. anecdotally, yeah. okay, you know what, Grant, I know that, in fact, I have made a difference. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that we we do here at Genesis, uh, one piece of our mission statement is to raise the level of awareness about the impact and the effects of domestic violence, the pervasiveness and the impacts. And we started 15 years ago with a national conference on crimes against women. Right. It is law enforcement, prosecutors, advocates, 3,200 people are about to descend on Dallas in May. And I got to tell you, it's our conference. We, we partner with the Dallas police, and we get a lot of help doing it. But at the end of the day, there are 3,500 people that are going to go home knowing something, how to prosecute something, how to investigate something that they didn't know before, how to respond to a victim, how to hold accountable a perpetrator. And when I look at that, and I know that there is a new sex assault uh, unit in Utah because of that conference, or there was a lady who investigated a uh, an aquatic homicide because we had the national leading expert on aquatic homicides. I know we're moving the needle. I know this agency is making a difference. That's what, how I want to be remembered. I was part of an agency that made a difference in people's lives and in this issue. That's how I'd like to be remembered. I got to be a part of it. Ms. Langbein, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for all that you've done for Dallas, for our country, for these women in the lobby, for these women around the world. Um, we're very grateful. Oh, my, my honor. Thank you.